our cat's belly uh, yeah i don't think of that like, when i think of hollywood your little evil underbelly <laughs> <laughs> the fuzzy right. underbelly our hosts today are uh, the cute evil underbelly tia yay uh, and jameson who's <laughs> back from connecticut um, back in back in but, cali but he's still remote yeah where you're you're in glendale right I'm in uh, isolation in Glendale right now. Uh, Quarantine. Yeah, he's in just like a big uh, steel tank, actually. Uh, I got the bends, yeah. We, we were really lucky to yeah get get uh, access. The fortress of and, solitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about th- uh, this one. I know I always say this one's going to be a doze. But yeah, this, yeah, this, this is, is good. This is going to be this, fun. Yeah, so this is I, the rock and roll episode. I, <laughs> I, I have to admit, like, I know the least about rock and roll <laughs> because I, you know. Because you're up, lame. I grew up, yeah, exactly. <laughs> grew up in New Mexico with, like, hip hop and stuff, you know, so I don't really know much history about it. But holy shit, doing this research was a lot of fun. Um, right on yeah yeah it's gonna be dope you, you doing good jameson everything cool? i'm excited uh i'm a big music fan so uh i'm excited to hear some some backstories on things and uh the story i have to tell i just kind of fell into myself so i'm excited to tell it nice nice i was just thinking we didn't tell each other anything right? yeah really this is a uh, dealer's choice today right so yeah i really hope no one did the same well if that happens i mean the next we'll just be like okay this is going to be a shortened episode it's just going to be two people <laughs> for those out there listening uh patrick and i are wearing the same dress and we are highly embarrassed oh, that's true oh, did you hate when that happens you know it's that? just we showed up and we're like don't but does it have pockets uh no uh, I'm, I'm getting used to no pockets <laughs> it's work that's what the purse is for, Tia. Duh. <laughs> exactly. Oh I have a fanny pack. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, Tia. I'm going get, first. Get us started. Yeah, I'm gonna go first. Get get, um, get ready. So uh, so originally I was going to do this story, which I'll get to at the end, of a curse on a kind of unknown band, uh, but. As I was doing the research, I it was heavily uh, influenced, or the the curse was blamed upon somebody who uh, influenced society many many years ago and was long dead, but still apparently uh, causing evil things to happen. You know, uh, evil. Yeah, still to this day. So, uh, so I'll get to my curses later, and I'll get to how this is going to connect into. Rock and roll. I'm doing an air guitar, by the way. That wasn't an actual guitar. Was she played? She actually plays bass. That's yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I'm gonna start off talking about the great beast himself, six six six, Mr. Aleister Crowley. So okay. So Aleister Crowley was born in 1875. In Warwickshire, England. Warwickshire, which sounds like the most English place ever. The, um, so the birthplace of evil. That's he was the, a Lord of the Ring. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. He started out as a hobbit. 
Uh, so his parents were very, very religious. Um, so his grandfather owned a distillery, but his father would not use any of the money from the family company and uh, chose to live his life very, very strictly and very religiously. What uh, religion, like uh, Catholicism? So, so he, well, he was a preacher and he evangelized the teachings of the Plymouth Brethren was the group that he chose to kind of go or attach on to. So basically, they believe that you did not live in any sort of excess. So you studied the Bible, you lived very simply, you only owned things that were a necessity, and especially you never ate more than you had to. Aleister Crowley, whose real name is Edward Alexander Crowley, uh, wanted to be a preacher too growing up. He really admired his dad a lot and he would choose to study the Bible instead of going out and playing with his friends, which led to him being bullied later on. Um, eventually his father died of tongue cancer when, uh, Al when Alexander or Alistair was 11 years old. And, um, sorry, <laughs> not Alexander. His name's Edward. Uh, so Edward became or started to live with just his mother. And his mother was like even more strict than his father. And because of like her, you know, he stayed inside out of the sunlight, didn't play with friends, only ate what was absolutely necessary. He ended up becoming very weak. And doctors said that he was only going to live for a couple months. So uh, his uncle stepped up and was like, hey, come live with me in the countryside. We're going to try to get you more healthy. I think it'll be good for you. So he goes and lives with his uncle. And his uncle's like, well, you're going to die in a couple months anyways. How about you just do whatever you want to do? Go run in the mountains, play in the fields, be out in the sunlight. What a badass. Yeah, uncle. we're going to eat. A bunch well, of again, food. I think everyone has that uncle. Everyone has that uncle. Well, I, and if you don't, and if you don't, I hope that, uh, and if you don't, I hope you follow the teachings of Aleister Crowley and live deliciously yeah. in your life. Just live deliciously. Uh, so, oh, before I go any further, I did get most of this from uh, the YouTube channel Biographics by Simon Whistler. Um and wikipedia as well as a few other articles that i forgot to um get the names of <laughs> so uh he became very sick he goes lives with his uncle his uncle sneaks him into pubs and uh buys him a prostitute when he's 15 so he can lose his virginity uh and he gets better he starts you know gaining weight and he looks great so uh, he goes back to live with his mother, but now he's like a teenager and he's like realized what fun is, which he'd never experienced before. Yeah. It's hard to do that when you're religious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> know what fun is. <laughs> so he goes back to live with his mother and her mother is like trying to be as strict with him as he was before. And she's like, you've changed. And she's the first one to tell him, you have become the beast, as in the beast from Revelations. Ooh, so she declared him yeah. the Satan. So, the Satan. yeah. <laughs> I love, I wrote here, uh, he, he blamed the pea breath for his illness. 
Um, so he, he blamed the Plymouth Brethren or P Breath. Oh, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> what? I was like, wait, did, wait, I, wait. did I miss what something? What am I missing in the story? Right? Yeah. He, so he bl- basically blamed religion for causing him to get ill, and he felt like living deliciously, living, doing what you will, uh, was the way to go. Uh, so uh, he rebels, and he. He has sex with their maid in his mother's bed just to spite her. Uh, Yeah. And then, so then the maid, her reputation is tarnished. So she ends up becoming a prostitute. And later, Aleister Crowley would claim that she was the first victim of Jack the Ripper. Whoa. Um, Interesting. So now he's in this, like, turmoil of, like, you know, do I live the way I want to live, you know, and have fun, or am I, do I, am I a godly person and I have no fun? So, um, so I'm going to quote him real quick. He said, I was in the death struggle with self. God and Satan fought for my soul. Those long three hours, God conquered. Now I have only one doubt left. Which of the twain? was God. So basically God and Satan are fighting over his soul, but he doesn't know is God really God because God is like evil and strict or, you know, is God living deliciously. So, uh, after high school, he goes to the Cambridge college, uh, and he starts going by Alistair Crowley and he falls in, or he, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, he becomes friends with a fellow classmate, uh, Herbert Jerome Poliet. Um, and uh, Herbert Jerome Poliet is actually a cross-dresser who goes by Diane de Rougy, which is the best drag name I've ever heard. De Rougy. Diane de Rougy. Uh, Alistair would write poems about him that were very angst, angsty, you know, angst-filled. Uh, so he was definitely in the struggle with his own bisexuality. Uh and which would obviously be condemned by the church. So he's already like having struggles with the church. Uh, he graduates and he inherits the entire Crowley fortune from the distillery. So he's got money to spend and he has sex with prostitutes and he reads books on the occult and he writes dirty poetry under a pen name. Ooh. Yeah, he's pretty badass. Kinky. Uh, and then he ends up joining a group called the Order of the Golden Dawn. They were aspiring wizards. Uh, some of them were actually um, famous people. Uh, one of them was the famous poet William but- Butler Yeats, and Bram Stoker of oh. Dracula was actually a member. Crazy. So they were known to perform real magic and communicate with angels. Mm. But Damn, that's crazy. not... he So... Alistair was still, like, a little unsure of if he should be going to these meetings and, like, what would my mom think? What if I get found out? So he decides he's going to go to these meetings in disguise. Um, so he puts on a fake mustache and he calls himself... <laughs> Sorry, Count- that's just always the go-to. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, disguise. <laughs> fake mustache. No one will buy that. Yeah. Uh, so he puts on a fake mustache and he goes by Count Vladimir Svarev. Svarif. Yeah. So wait a second. Everybody already knows it's Alistair, but now he starts showing up in in 
like this guy's. When he goes to the first meeting of the Order of the Golden Dawn, he's in disguise. Oh, okay, got it. But the when I was doing research, most people were like, "Yeah, they were kind of like, all right, Alistair, you know." Uh, yeah, okay. that's like, sure thing, Vladimir. Uh, so actually, okay, so actually, later in his life, he, later in his life, he would actually become a secret agent for the British government. Uh, and he got that job because he claimed that he had infiltrated a secret society. Ah. <laughs> claimed. He's like, I had them fooled. <laughs> uh, so he twirled his mustache. Yeah. Right. So he eventually, you know, comes clean with, with the order, but they kind of don't have a good feeling about that. They're like, well, you were lying and we don't trust you. So they wouldn't really let him move up in the order and they didn't really want to teach him magic at all. So they had this uh, rule that you couldn't pay somebody to teach you magic, um, which makes sense. You know, they didn't want anybody trying to like bribe them into getting you, curses you to, or you spells. Had to, like, you had to earn it and be trusted. Movie would uh, it. But he does end up convincing someone to teach him magic by uh, providing them with uh, lodging and boarding. He gives this guy free rent and he's going to teach him some magic. So that's awesome. So some of the people in uh, the order of the, the, what is it? Order golden of the golden dawn. dawn. I, sh- I know this. Right. Uh, G U N T G U A G A U N T. Sorry. Order. Order of the golden dawn. Dawn. Yeah. Okay. Dawn. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so some of them start getting kind of worried about uh, little Alistair here because he's getting into black magic. Uh, he he claims he sees his roommate levitate uh, and he starts to incorporate psychedelic drugs into his rituals. And they're kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know about you, <laughs> you know. Uh, so in 1892, he buys this mansion in Loch Ness scott loch ness scotland like the monster the loch ness mm. monster oh, yeah. uh the boleskeen house oh sorry am i not yeah, i'm not facing the microphone so okay so in 1899 1899 he buys a mansion in loch ness scotland scotland called the boleskeen house specifically to perform a ritual called the Abramelin ceremony. So he wants to contact demons or angels. Um, so this house, it was originally built in the 1760s. It was a hunting lodge. And legend has it, it was built on the site of a church that had burned to the ground while it was full of loyal worshipers killing everybody inside. So that's the legend of this property. And of course, this is the house that Alistair wants to live in. So he buys this property, uh, and unfortunately, as much as he tries, uh, he can't reach any demons. He doesn't contact anybody. Uh, But rumor has it, since he began a lot of rituals but never was able to complete them, the rumor has it is that he opened the gates to hell but never really closed them. Mm. So, So he marries this woman named Rose Edith Kelly, uh, they elope uh, after Alistair discovers that she is 
um, in an arranged marriage. So to save her from the arranged marriage, they elope, they run away to Egypt, and they go have a honeymoon in Cairo. So they're on this honeymoon, they're in these caves in Cairo, and he tries to summon uh, his favorite god, Horus. As he's doing this ritual, Rose falls into a trance, and she claims that she was able to communicate with Horus. And Alistair is like, like, upset because he's tried for a very, very long time to contact demons and gods and angels. And now he's trying to contact Horus and Rose is like, oh, I just got into this trance. He just met this chick, brought her to Egypt. And she's like, oh, I just, I just talked to Horus, you know? Um, so he's like, like bullshit. You did not talk to Horus. Now when do I get to see the sailboat? <laughs> <laughs> so he like he's pissed and he's like you didn't talk to her. You didn't talk to him. He, you know, uh so he's like, "All right, prove it. We're going to go to the museum." He takes her to this museum and he, he's like, "All right. Here are all the Egyptian artifacts and paintings and hieroglyphs." show me Horace. You talk to Horace, show me Horace. And she walks right up to a painting of Horace and points at him. And legend has it that it was exhibit 666. Ooh. That's a lot of exhibits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, oh. not even like, that's crazy that it's evil, but damn, that's a lot of exhibits. Like, so you're saying guess... that it, the, he, he wanted her to point it out in a museum, you said? Yeah, like if you talk to Horus, then who's Horus of of all these creatures? Is it the one with the dog head or the bird head or got who is it? it. You know, oh, I and Horus was, like... was not necessarily an Egyptian god, but or but they were in Egypt, or he is an Egyptian god. Horus is Horus an, Egyptian, is an god. Egyptian god. Got it. Yeah, that's right. So his they... favorite god. Yeah, so they go back to Cairo, uh, and they continue to do the ritual again. And uh, he claims that his guardian angel, Iowas, tells him to take three days to write, uh, to write a book, which eventually he entitles The Book of the Law. And The Book of the Law is basically about living deliciously. This is the most famous quote from The Book of the Law, which you've probably heard in many, many, many rock songs albums and whatnot the quote is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law but i'll get it <laughs> exactly i mean that's how i would do it i'll get into like that. i like i said i have zero rock knowledge that was good that was okay that wasn't so bad so he like jim morrison man <laughs> we do jim true. morrison <laughs> Do what thou wilt. Oh, I can't do, do it. Thou, yeah, I can't do it. Do what thou wilt. No, that sounded and bad. And walked on down the hall. <laughs> it's fine. You cannot petition the Lord for prayer. Is With that prayer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You cannot petition oh. the Lord with prayer. Oh my Good goodness. Good call. Nice. <laughs> So so she so just going back to that real quick. She pointed out immediately to the painting. And you're saying that the painting was was like labeled item or exhibit six 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 or something like that. Yeah. So then they oh, okay. they finish the ritual. 
He contacts his guardian angel, Iowas. Iowas is like, write this book. He writes this book and it becomes his famous book, the book of the law. Okay. Which is now that I'm reading is not that clever of a title. The book um, of the law. Yeah. The book of the law. But that's okay. Okay. Book it's all good. Book of the law. Book of the law. These are these are all rock stars. <laughs> that works a lot better. Oh. <laughs> All right. So anyways, so he returns to England. He goes back to the Golden Dawn and they don't believe him. Uh, And instead, they believe that he's been tricked by some demon and they won't allow him to graduate. So uh, so so he goes to the Paris chapter of the Golden Dawn and he's like he gets a certificate from them for mustache on this time. No, he's oh, he's ditched right. the mustache. No, like, uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's like <laughs> he made a longer mustache. I'm glad he here. Then there's no and way spectacles. he could tell. And spectacles. <laughs> so he go okay. Anyways, he goes to Paris. He gets his certificate of completion, and uh, he returns back to England to his chapter of the Golden Dawn. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't accept that at all. And so Alistair breaks in to the, the place that they're, I guess, holding their meetings, uh, and he changes all the locks and locks them out. <laughs> and of course, they kick him out. They kick him out. They're like, you're out of the order. Goodbye. I, I also put gum on all your seats. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so in 1905... He takes a group of his friends to go climbing the mountain Kanochongunja, K-A-N-O-C-H-O-N-J-U-N-G-A, which is one of the tallest mountains in the world. Uh, So they get to two thousand, so they get to twenty-five thousand feet, and a gentleman with them, a photographer named Jules Jaco Goulamard. Uh, starts to get upset with how uh, Alistair is treating his friends. And he doesn't like Alistair Crowley. They're getting into fights. And um, so he convinces the group to mutiny against him. And he takes the group to start climbing down the mountain. And Alistair's like, you probably shouldn't climb down the mountain. So as they're climbing down the mountain, an avalanche happens and kills a few of his friends. And Alistair's like, he does nothing to help them or save them. And uh, later on, when he would be asked about this, he uh, has zero sympathy or remorse. And people claim that Alistair caused the avalanche by summoning a a demon to cause it. Mm, The avalanche demon. Yeah, right. I'll show you. (laughs) So. Dicks and walk out. That's funny. Yeah. So 1909, he divorces Rose and he leaves her uh, after the death of uh, one of their of their daughter. Oh, sorry. No, that's not right. He tries to have a daughter with Rose. Uh, Never mind. I can't remember what that is. My notes don't make sense here. Um, So in 1909, he divorces Rose and leaves her and his daughter, who's named Lola Zaza. And uh, the reason that uh, Rose divorces him is because Crowley was adulterous and uh, he 
he ends up committing Rose to an asylum for her alcoholism. Uh, and then Lola Zaza has to end up being taken care of by nannies, basically for, I guess, till she becomes an adult. Because we don't really hear about Lola Zaza anymore. So he starts his own cult called Thelema. And he taught from the Book of the Law. He goes to Italy and he opens the Abbey of Thelema, where they did drugs and had orgies and people were encouraged to do whatever they wanted. So in the Abbey of Thelema, there was a room called the Nightmare Room, where uh, Crowley covered the walls with his terrifying paintings. And he would encourage his followers to do LSD, or I guess the equivalent that they had of LSD. I don't know if uh, LSD was available then, but this is what they said. LSD. <clears throat> no, LSD was available yeah. then, yeah. I remember seeing the Google thing about LSD like a couple months back. You Googled LSD? No, you know, you know how like when Google's, <laughs> Google's, Google's homepage has like, you know, on this day, blah, 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 blah. On this know? day, LSD the, yeah, was invented. Yeah, it was like one of those. It was, it was oh, crazy. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, he encourages followers. two people, sorry. What? It was two people that made LSD, sorry. And now we're going to cut to the LSD story. No, uh, <laughs> this is 1938. Oh, yeah? 1930. Okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, you still had mushrooms and you still had, you know, natural hallucinogenic properties, you know, peyote and stuff. So maybe they had that. So he encourages his followers to take LSD and to sit in this room with all of his um, scary paintings until they lose fear of anything. So rumors start to spread of bestiality and animal sacrifice. Uh, the land is allegedly haunted. And this chick, Leia, goes and snitches on the group to the press and claims that a member has died after drinking blood from a cat. So the Italian authorities break in and they force the group out. And to this day, the property is still abandoned and it's supposed to be this super haunted place in Italy. Oh, creepy. So, Aleister Crowley comes to visit the United States for a while uh, and he tries to influence people into joining the occult. Uh, He inspires rocket scientist Jack Parsons and influences one gentleman named L. Ron Hubbard. Oh no. And he teaches the two of them sex magic. Yeah. Uh so my friend uh Mr. Richard Lale, the gentleman psychic, uh told me that uh Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard wanted to conjure up the Antichrist and uh Aleister Crowley told them not to, but so so they ended up doing the ritual, and you can cut this out later if you want, because this is crazy. Uh, they ended up doing the ritual to summon up the Antichrist in 1945, which is um, oddly, uh, which is ironic or uncanny that that is the year that Donald Trump is born. So, <laughs> so is he is he the Antichrist summoned up from Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard? We don't know. 
my son keeps saying that tomorrow Donald Trump is supposed to die because the Simpsons uh, decreed it 20 years ago. Oh, on an super. Awesome. Oh, nice. great. Wonderful. So it's nice. supposed to be tomorrow. So. Your son just, your son just, <laughs> just a side note. The Simpsons made itself. It would That's be great, great if you died. Yeah, the Simpsons got a lot right, man. That's the animated yeah. Nostradamus. Be wonderful if he got COVID. <laughs> Not that he would tell us or anything That's or hilarious. ever admit to that. So, okay. Anyways, he inspires rocket scientist Jack Parsons and influences Mr. L. Ron Hubbard, and he teaches them sex magic. So, uh, uh, Alistair ends up becoming addicted to heroin. So, in the 1930s, his inheritance starts to run dry. So, he sues a journalist for accusing him of performing black magic, which, of course, he loses, and he endures public humiliation from it. And he's not seen around London a lot, probably because he's in America at this time, but a rumor starts to be spread that he died of an overdose. And then this young woman named Deirdre McKellen approaches him and wants to have him as her baby daddy uh and she's read all of his books she's the biggest fan of alistair crowley and she helps him come get clean and she helps him become a better person and uh they end up having a son together named alistair ataturk crowley did i write that right alistair ataturk crowley uh and then uh, Alistair Crowley Sr. Uh, becomes this changed person. He becomes this doting father, and he's no longer this selfish person. And what year is this, or how old is he about at, at this time? He's in his maybe his late. He's in maybe his late sixties at this time. Late sixties. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he got. So he he got mature about sixty-seven years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right on time. Right on time. <laughs> so they live in a beach house in Cornwall, and he has this really uh, nice end to his life. Uh, on December 1st, 1947, he slips into a coma and dies of chronic bronchitis, uh, aggravated by pleurisy and mitochondrial degeneration. Wow. He's 72. His funeral was held at Brighton Crematorium. On December 5th, excerpts from the Book of the Law and the Hymn of Pan are read. Now tabloids uh, tabloids kind of say that it's a black mass at the time and kind of go they run wild with the story. Uh, his friend and fellow occultist Carl Germer takes his ashes and spreads them in his garden in Hampton, New Jersey. Oh, in Jersey? Yeah. So that's oh, okay. where Aleister Crowley is. Maybe that explains a little bit about... Someone's eating some Aleister Crowley so, tomatoes right now. So, so he never went back to England? Uh, no, he was in he was in Cornwall, England, at the end of his life. In New England, yes. there's a lot of sit or towns named after English towns, so I wasn't sure if you were talking about like New England or regular England. <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm, that's a, lot of that's a good question. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm but pretty it, sure it, he... I'm, I'm sure it was in England, and then his friend just brought his ashes back to Jersey. You said, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that is Aleister Crowley. Now, how does this? What does this have to do with rock and roll? Well, uh, his 
do what you want, whatever you want to do. Uh, definitely uh, inspired a lot of hippies and the free love movement. He's actually featured on the album, the, the first album to feature him. He His pictures and some of his writings and things have been featured throughout music history. Uh, but one of the first ones to feature a portrait of Aleister Crowley is the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper uh, album. Uh, okay. Sgt. Yeah, Pepper's sure. Lonely Hearts. He's one of, the, one of the people on the cover? Yeah, he's in the top okay. left. You can clearly see him. Uh, John Lennon, that great guy, uh, also would talk about being heavily influenced by Aleister Crowley. Uh, later on, uh, a great musician named Jimmy Page, who is the founder of Led Zeppelin, uh, would be inspired by Aleister Crowley and would begin to learn about him and be influenced by him by age 15. Oh yeah, he was major into the occult. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, Led Zeppelin three, uh, the uh, first press of Led Zeppelin three, Jimmy Page actually scratched into uh, the side one the words "Do what thou wilt," and then on the side two he scratched in "So mote it be," which is usually how you, I think, how you end a ritual or maybe how you begin a, a ritual. Uh, so it's definitely do what thou wilt. So mode it be is definitely an incantation. Uh, so, okay. In 1971, Jimmy Page attends a Sotheby's auction, uh, put on by Aleister Crowley's estate. There he meets filmmaker Kenneth Anger. You might know from Hollywood Babylon or one of my faves, Lucifer Rising which are crazy, incredible films. Uh, but he meets Kenneth Anger there. Uh, so Paige would end up purchasing the Bolkestein house in Loch Ness. So he buys that house that he had, uh, oh. that Aleister Crowley had. Uh, apparently, while planning Zeppelin IV, Jimmy Page was playing for Robert Plant and the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven write themselves. Uh, and so that's him being, you know, influenced, I don't know, by the powers that be. Uh, on the album Stairway to Heaven, if you play it backwards, you can hear them saying, uh, here's to my sweet Satan. We'll give those with him to 666. You know, if you play it backwards. Interesting. I wonder what part. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, right. Uh, you can see the Bolskestein house in the music video. Uh, the song remains the same. Uh, da, 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 da. and the cover of, uh, of Zeppelin Four is the tarot hermit, and with magic symbols that represent each member of the band. So in nineteen. 19- yeah, I've seen the symbols. That's yes. crazy. Yeah. In 1973, Page sees the ghost of a headless man in the Bolskestein house. Uh, And so he asks Kenneth Anger to exercise the house in return for doing the the musical score for Lucifer Rising. Uh, His childhood friend, Malcolm Dent, is the one who typically stays in the house. And Malcolm Dent is a huge skeptic of the paranormal, but 
many things happen in the house that he himself says says that he can't explain. There would be closing of doors and sounds and carpets that would be kind of pushed up into a pile. And even though he's there by himself. So, uh, so anyways, Kenneth Anger exercises the house and, uh, Jimmy Page is like, okay, I'll do the music for Lucifer Rising. Uh, Lucifer Rising begins production in 1967, but was plagued by tragedy. The five-year-old boy cast to play young Lucifer leapt to his death from his apartment window. What? Yeah. Crazy. So baby Lucifer. you said? What's that? Where did you say he left? From his apartment window. Oh, okay. I thought you said Glendale. I was like, wow. <laughs> right oh, next door, like, Jameson. Left from his window and apartment in Glendale. Like, oh, whoa. Uh, uh, he was five and committed suicide, is what they're saying? Or he just fell out of the window, kind of thing? You know, I don't know. That's weird. Anyways, uh, that's fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, and I can't read my handwriting here. Bobby Boussoulet. What does that say? Boussoulet. Yes, Bobby Boussoulet, who is cast in the movie, ends up joining the Manson family. Manson family, yeah. Yeah. And he murders a school teacher named Gary Himley. Yep. Yep. So, so production was in 1967, but Kenneth Anger doesn't receive the music from Jimmy Page till 1976. Yeah. Damn. So Kenneth Anger finally receives the music for Lucifer Rising from Page. Uh, he had not completed it due to his addiction to heroin. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Uh, Why are you looking at Patrick when he said that? That's know. what I was just thinking. <laughs> I was like, did she find my stash? So <laughs> Kenneth Ager was editing at uh, Paige's Millhouse. I'm assuming that's his production company or his editing place is called Millhouse. Uh, so uh, Kenneth Ager fires Paige, of course, because the music's not completed. And he only ever makes like 45 minutes of music or no he makes like 20 minutes of music and Kenneth Anger's like I need 45 minutes and Jimmy Page is like we'll just play it twice and, <laughs> and Double it up. flip the tape flip the tape yeah right so Kenneth Anger is like you're fired but so Kenneth Anger gets evicted from Millhouse but without the rights to his film oh, so oh, Kenneth man. Anger places a curse very publicly on Jimmy Page so uh, this is like rumored that these are the effects of the curse. Uh, during their 1927 tour, Robert Plant receives word that his five-year-old son has died from a stomach virus. Uh, on September 24th, 1980, after a night of binge drinking, the dr- their drummer, John, John Bonham, Bonham, dies of vomit as- asphyxiation at Millhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 19 or on December 23rd, 2015, the house that Jimmy Page owns of Aleister Crowley, uh, catches fire, uh, for an unknown reason. Nobody is in the house, fortunately, but also like, how did the fire start if no one was in the house Mm -hmm. and about 60% of it is burned and it is still in disrepair to this day, but it is on the market. So if you want to purchase it, you can buy that house. (laughs) Half burned mansion. Yeah. It is still in disrepair. 
filled with demons. <laughs> Nobody wants it, huh? Okay. So the original story I was researching uh, was actually uh, this story I'm about to get into, which is another curse uh, that is associated with Aleister Crowley and Jimmy Page. So this is like kind of an unknown story. I came across this documentary at some point in my life about this band and this curse, but on doing my research, I could not for the life of me find the documentary. All I could find was one small article about it. So I'm just gonna go through it really briefly. Um, so in 1977, Essex Brockers, Eddie and the Hot Rods, wrote a song called Do Anything You Wanna Do, inspired by Crowley, of course. His, yeah, yeah. But that's like... That's the modern. That's the modern version of it. Like, do what you wanna do. Do you know? anything you wanna do. Uh, Sorry, I had to try a rock song. It didn't work. That was pretty close to yeah. what it sounded like. Yeah, it, that's, um, it's too... They were they were like pop nice. rock. Yeah, They were very say, pop okay, rock. It yeah. sounds pop rock of a title, yeah. Uh, and it reaches the top 10. Uh... So the band decides that they want to put Aleister Crowley on the cover of their album for Do Anything You Want to Do. Uh, but uh, they also felt that the image was like kind of dark for their like pop rock sound. And so their manager, Ed Hollis, decides that, well, we're going to put a pair of Mickey Mouse ears on Aleister Crowley to, you know, make it kind of funny, you know? Uh, liven it up. Liven yeah, liven it, up, it up. And it's it's like pretty famous. I've seen shirts of, right, yeah. of Aleister Crowley with the Mickey Mouse ears, but nobody's ever heard of Eddie and the Hot Rods. Um, so according to rumor, Jimmy Page saw the image uh, and was furious and completely offended by it. And he placed a curse on Eddie and the Hot Rods. And... After the curse, they were dropped from their label. Their manager became hooked on heroin. And they never reached the top 10 again. Bassist Paul Gray would say, weird shit happened after that. A lot of people said we shouldn't have fucked about with Crowley. And that is my story of Aleister Crowley. And his influence on rock and roll. Mm. Yay! Uh-huh. So there could, uh-huh. have, could have been more Eddie and the Hot Rods. But we could have had way more Eddie and the Hot Rods, you know? It could have been the name. I'm not going to lie. I could, think they, it could they, have been the name. Yeah. They still went on <laughs> to do some stuff, but it just never really reached the same as do what you want to do. Do, do anything they want to do. Do anything you want to do. Doing anything they want to do. Uh, maybe that's the name of the album. Doing anything. Yeah. That is, I think yeah. that's the name of the album. It's funny too. There's an album called "The Curse of the Hot Rods." <laughs> that's so that's funny. Hilarious. I wonder if that's Guess it's a kind thing. of a playoff of it, you know? Oh, I'm sure. I hope so. That's hilarious. Yeah, because there's a lot of albums on um under on on uh, iTunes here. So that's pretty crazy. That's nice. awesome. And it's funny because when you said Eddie and Hot Rods, at first you thought that I was like, "Isn't that from a movie? <laughs> is that not a real story? Is that a real band?" It sounds like they're like a band from like Back to the Future. I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, or something, a band from Back to or, or like the a, a gang in Greece or something. Oh yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh no, it's Eddie and the Hot Rods. <laughs> Let's race it for a pack next. of cigarettes. That's hilarious. Smokes. 
smokes. <laughs> yeah, that's right, funny. Right. Sorry, I'm just I did my snapping and oh, that's good. my Jeremy Robbins uh, choreography. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh that's God. Hilarious. All right, nice. Well, and what you got? What you got? What you got? Yeah, I. Uh, I, I, that's that's really cool. I, I listened, like I was telling you earlier, I listened to a lot of Tool. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands, and they are just all about Aleister Crowley. And uh, one of their albums, they, they, they worked in a lot of his uh, stuff into the album, uh, an album called Lateralis. That's a fantastic album if anybody's ever interested in picking up something crazy uh, sounding. But really, really great album, Lateralis. Just just doused with that kind of especially like when you read the liner notes and stuff it has all that mysticism and all that stuff danny the drummer danny carey is like super into him has old books and stuff owned written by him and you know original first printings and stuff so uh, uh, there's definitely people that are big collectors out there that are gaga for that stuff i'm gonna have to check you know? that one out I, I'm, I like tool tools dope i, I don't yeah. think i've heard lateralis so. mm. just a fantastic album that, that's uh that's where they really started getting into their epicness like where they were just having these 10 minute long songs that were just you know mm-hmm. just phenomenal that's dope yeah, yeah so out. I recommend that to all the listeners out there want to give us some new music a shot you know nice wear yourself a nice fat joint and uh, listen to some lateralis it's right. do yourself wonders <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm going to go a little bit harder than Tool I, I like well I should say harder but I, I, I do I, I'm a big music fan I do love uh, you know rock and roll I'm a big heavy metal guy uh, so you know, hearing where all this roots of uh, Satanism comes from, and you know, I think I think when we were talking about um, uh, Anton Lavey, like just how how much the the religion itself was just kind of rooted in the same beliefs that you just want to you do what you want to do, and and I think that that's where a lot of religion clashes with it, where they start saying, well, you know, that's the devil trying to get you to do these things that are doing what you want to do, um, and I think that. That should come within reason, obviously. You know, oh, I like killing people. Well, you can't do what you want to do. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's weird how, like, but, like, yeah. you have to, like, yeah, that's I don't balance. know. Never mind. I was going to say, like, how, you know, morality, you have to have these, like, ten commandments to tell you how to be moral. But, yeah. like, you can still be moral and still do whatever you want to do. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, my fun is you know putting on a ton of makeup and glitter and dancing around to lady gaga and like you know drinking this whole bottle of wine in front of me uh and that's what i want to do but i've never felt the urge to like kill somebody you know right gee that sounded like real guy shit right there that's kind of weird i i didn't think you were such a dude i know right dancing around with, <laughs> dancing around with the glitter and stuff that's that, that sums up my weekend pretty when, much i don't know about right? you patrick but yeah, i mean I can't wait till we get to hang out again because that's the first thing we're gonna do. I'll bring the glitter. <laughs> um, but I, I, uh, I did my story off of one of my favorite bands, and uh, when when I was growing up, the band that I latched onto uh, the most was Guns N' Roses. I was all about that band. Um, nice, they nice. they were coming on the scene when I was of the age where I could kind of be impacted by what I saw on MTV and stuff. And, uh, you know, hair metal ruled the, the airwaves at that time. Uh, but Guns N' Roses, to me, was, was my favorite of all those bands. When did, uh, when did Guns N' Roses come um, they came. Their album came out in 1987, but it, it took almost a year for their album to kind of hit uh, and, and really blind. just take off. And uh, so you got about 1988 or so when it really took off. And that's kind of when I had my own money and could buy my own, my own music with my own 
money and you know not have to have my parents playing their music you know i could listen to whatever i wanted to mm-hmm. right yeah so i had my own walkman and my tapes and i was happy that's a that's you know? a good that's a that's like a yeah that's definitely a moment in growing up when you when you get your own music you know you got your own way to listen to it i remember mm-hmm. that being cool yeah yeah you know, you're like really independent and you know it's like yeah i like your music mom and dad but but i like this music you know and you know a lot of times the parents don't like what their kids are listening to not always but you know, usually you're like, you get left alone and you can do what you want to do, you know? The first CD I ever bought was like a Kiss Greatest Hit CD and my friends made fun of me. Wait, (laughs) I had that one too. Was it called Smashes, Trashes, and Hits? I think so. I don't, (laughs) yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's put the X in sex. That was their big song that came out when I was... That's hilarious. Which is a horrible Kiss song, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah. When you're you're in sixth grade and you're yelling, let's put the X in sex, you're you're like, you think you're really cool. You're a fucking rebel. I still like Kiss, like, a whole lot. And I get that they're kind of lame, but I like them. Yeah, they're fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kiss cool. Absolutely. I'm not going to, I've seen them a few times in concert. I mean, they're a fan, you know, they're a lot of fun. There's people that are like into, into that band, like no tomorrow. And that's cool. I'm kind of that way when it comes to, uh, to, uh, Guns N' Roses, you know, they're one of my favorites. Nice. So, mm-hmm. um, but I have to say, uh, um, coming from that and being such a huge fan when, when they released, um, their, their second set of albums, Use Your Illusion one and two, uh, I was so excited. I couldn't wait till they came out with those albums. And, you know, they released them on midnight and it was this whole big debacle. And I was so excited. And I had those albums for years and, you know, for 20 years or whatever, I was, I was listening to that music and and loving it. But it wasn't until about maybe five years ago that I was watching TV and and I came upon the television show, uh, celebrity ghost stories. Have you guys ever seen the show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, all of them. A lot. Uh, <laughs> okay. Or has watched all of them. I've watched all them. almost all of the second season. I was on and off the first season. So okay. if this is a okay, first well, season story, I might have missed it. Well, if it's from the second season. It's at the very end, though. I think it's the second to last episode. Okay. Ooh. Um, Spoilers, because so I don't know if you, I don't know yeah, I don't know if you saw it or not. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I just came upon it. And now I don't usually watch any of these ghost shows. Uh, they're a lot of fun, but I just, you know, I find them a bit repetitive after a while. So I, I don't really go crazy on those. But I watched this one because uh, their second drummer, Matt Sorum, uh, ended up being on an episode. So I'm like, well, cool. I'll check this out. And when he told me the story, um, I got really excited because it explained a lyric in a song, or in one of their songs that I just never paid any any mind to because there was no story that went along with it so when i heard the story i got really excited and 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 the story is pretty good like he did a very good job of making it a creepy one uh i personally when i after i saw this episode i decided to record the show and i watched like two or three episodes and i didn't i I thought it was they were all lame compared to his story (laughs) so you know so i was kind of like i'm done with the show whatever um but this one i really like so i'm going to tell you guys the story of uh the head and the arm uh, behind, I uh, found in a garbage can. All right, so that goes. <laughs> that goes the lyric. Uh, the, the song is called "Double Talk and Jive." Uh, it's on Use Your Illusion One, and the opening line to the song is "Found a head and an arm in the garbage can. Don't know why I'm here." Oh, so, yeah. hearing that, okay, great, whatever. Did you don't pay any mind to it? But when I saw this story about, uh, again, Matt, Matt Storm talking about it, um, he kind of was talking about how he was recording in the studio and um, he saw something when he was in the studio and it ended up being the same studio that they had recorded in, in 1990. So 
and go back to 1990 because um, the roses is filming or sorry recording those two albums for usual illusion one and two which ended up being this massive double album uh and that was released on the same day and uh they, they spent a lot of time in, in three different studios uh, around Los Angeles. Uh, one would be uh, the record plant, another would be Studio 56, and the third was A&M, which is actually now the Jim Henson Studios. Do you guys know where that, that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, uh, they used to be a recording studio, apparently. And, uh, and, For all and of our so listeners, lot of Jim Henson Studios is a huge facility in Hollywood. It was originally Charlie Chaplin's That's right. big yeah, Charlie oh, production yeah. Yeah. studio that was, like, over several acres. And now it's a small, like, maybe one block it's studio. still it's still pretty big. It's still for, pretty I big mean, for property in Hollywood, but yeah, I just wanted to let our listeners know. So and continue. you can see oh. it in the Muppets movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Right where in the, the beginning, where, where they drive through Muppet LA in like ten minutes, and it is, and it's like pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. They go down La Brea, like, yeah. past the Muppet Studio, and then they go to Pink's Hot Dogs, which is down a little bit. Right. You know, we need a sponsorship yeah. from Pink's Hot Dogs. Pink's. Yeah. That's right. Hot dogs. Pinks. Hot dogs. Pinks. <laughs> That's funny. Pinks is actually really good. Have you ever? Have you guys ever been before? I've only been once. I I've went been when one I first, time. I went when I first moved out of Hollywood because it was like a thing. My mom. It's good. Yeah. It's but good. I remember Scooby's in Hollywood was. Scooby. Oh, bomb. Scooby's was so good, and Scooby's not there anymore. Was bomb. Is it gone? Scooby's was gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, that left pretty quick. Uh, yeah. Bummer. And for those listeners out there who don't know what Pink's Hot Dogs is, it's a hot dog stand that you have to wait 45 minutes for a freaking hot dog. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not all the time. Like, you can, you can, you can get there at a good time where there's not people there. but there I've are... only been there once when they have, there was no line. Every never, other time, it's ridiculous. Never, yeah, yeah, I've never gone past it and not seen a line. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say my mom is very adamant that like we go to these like Los Angeles landmarks. Um, yeah. Because she grew up out here, and oh yeah, uh, I am second or maybe even third generation Hollywood, uh, which is weird because I didn't grow up here, but I chose to move here. But uh, yeah, my my great grandmother and my grandmother moved to Hollywood in 1927, so my mom grew up out here, so she's and always she like Musa and Franks. My grandfather worked at Musso and Franks. My grandparents, no, my great-grandfather worked at Musso and Franks. My grandparents met at Hollywood High School. Crazy. And then my mom grew up in Newhall. Yeah. Sure, Newhall's out by uh, Six Flags, right? Yeah. Yeah. And her first job was at Magic Mountain. There you go. Before it was Six Flags Magic Mountain. Uh, Crazy. That's dope. Yeah. Right on. I could um, I could go on, but anyways. <laughs> tangent. Well, tangent. Uh, uh, the fact that you guys know where these studios are, they're all kind of located down uh, down in the area. Studio Fifty Six is down in uh, West Hollywood, so they're all yeah. I think they're all relatively close to each other as far as distance and, and area is concerned. Um, one of them has gone to Record Plan, I think, is the one that's now gone. Uh, or no, Studio Fix Fifty Six is now gone. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so nineteen ninety, they're filming in these three studios, and while they're there, um, there's this big commotion in in the back alleyway, and all these cops are there, and and the band kind of comes out, and you know, is hearing all these rumors about what's going on, and apparently they found this 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 decapitated head, and um, actually a couple of feet in the uh, dumpster behind uh, the recording studio that they're they're you know recording it. 
and uh, Izzy, the guitarist, is from what I understand was actually out of town uh, when he heard this news. Uh, but he, when he heard it, he wrote it down into the song, and actually ends up singing most of that song when he, uh, doing the lyrics because obviously Axl Rose is the lead singer. Uh, Izzy does most of the lyrics in Double Talk and Jive, and uh, throws that throws that in for the first line. So. I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, not cool, but just interesting uh, that there was actually literally a story that, that went along with that, that lyric in the line, you know, or that line in the song. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I was like, okay, so, um, and I have to I have to say, I'll throw a shout out to uh, this uh, blog, Turbliminal. Uh, Turbliminal blog is one of the, is basically the only source of information and the only person who kind of sought to find out who this person could have been um, because really there's no news about it elsewhere there there's many many clips of matt sorum talking about his story but that's it uh, so doing the research was um basically just this guy had already done the research uh and it was really cool of him to kind of go this far down the rabbit hole uh to, to find all this information out but um basically he pinpointed the fact that you know it was around 1990 that they were doing this and when he checked police rec- records um he was able to find out that there was a head and feet, not a head and arm, uh, found in this. And apparently, uh, an, a, a gay porn actor by the name of William Arnold Newton, uh, whose stage name was Billy London, was uh, murdered uh, between October 28th and 30th of 1990. And they found the body parts on October 30th, right? So that's my birthday. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, that's right. October thirtieth. That's right. So they found it. They found Billy London, poor Billy London, in a dumpster on your birthday in nineteen ninety. You were how old in nineteen ninety? Oh, three years. three years old. There you go. There you go. What a great birthday present for it's, you to have. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, and it, it's funny because if you they point out the fact that if you look at the photo of Billy London, like one of the stock photos of him. He actually really looks a little, uh, pretty similar to a young uh, Axl Rose, which is kind of ironic. That's crazy. Um, but uh, so yeah, so this guy is killed, and they, 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 they he makes it, the lyrics into the song, um, and you know, Guns N' Roses is kind of like, wow, this is crazy, you know, like what a crazy thing to to happen while we're playing, you know, playing in the studio here. So, um, so yeah, so fast forward like five or six years, and um, Matt Sorum is. Uh, back in back in Studio 56, uh, and he's he's basically recording uh, with a guy named Jim Mitchell, and Jim Mitchell and him are Jim is like a uh, the sound guy, you know, he's a he's a producer, and so he's he's helping Matt record this band that Matt has discovered and really likes. So they come in, they're hanging out. It's like two o'clock in the morning. They're they're jamming, and um, <clears throat> they start to lay down uh, the music and stuff. So. Uh, they start to lay down his music and um, basically like she's recording the vocals and when they come back to play back the vocal part, uh, they hear this like really low growl uh, underneath the girl singing. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> you, you know, when you see like when you see recording studios and stuff like uh, that, you know, it's usually just one person in the booth and it's very right. quiet, yeah. you know, and so they don't know where they can, they, they don't know where the humming is coming from. So like, that's really weird. Let's, let's rewind it. Let's do it again. Let's take an art take. So they take it, they do an art take. It's the same thing. It just this kind of thing. And Jim is like, I've been producing for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. I, I've never, this has never happened before, but whatever. So they, they, 
go back into recording some other instrumentalist parts and, and eventually they go back to, to recording to the vocals again and, and it's fine after that. So by this point, it's about 4, 4.30 in the morning and the band has decided that they're going to leave. And so Matt and Jim are sitting in the, in, the, um, in the booth and they're just kind of like, you know, they're just kind of like leaning back and listening to the music. It's late at night. They're just kind of going over stuff and, and checking it out. And all of a sudden, Jim, his chair gets shoved really hard. And he like basically gets like pushed out of his chair and towards Matt. And he's like, dude, did you just fucking push me? Like, what the fuck? You know, and Matt's like, oh, you're joking, right? Like, I'm way over here. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, you know? And so he's like, man, that's really weird. Like, it felt like somebody just pushed me really hard. And so he got a little, like, shaken up. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go use the restroom. I'll be right back. And so he gets up and he goes to the bathroom. And Matt said he was sitting in, the, in the, the control room. And Jim comes walking back in. And he just looks super white. Like, his face is just pale. And he's shaking. And he's like, you know, like, hey, man, are you all right? And he's like, I think I just saw a ghost. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, no, I was in the bathroom. And I, this guy walked into the bathroom, walked past me, walked into a stall. And when I was done, you know, pissing, I turned around and there was nobody inside. There was nobody in the bathroom. And I know there's nobody in the building here right now. So I don't know what the fuck it is, but I think I just saw a ghost. Uh, so Matt's like, what? You know, like, you know, I, you, you must be, you must be imagining things and blah, blah, blah. And so they, they decide that they're going to go talk to the, to the guy in the front, like the receptionist in the front, because that's the only other person that's in the building there. Yeah. So when they go to walk out, they go to walk through a, like one of these one of the rooms to get to the front, and they walk into like an. He said they walked into like like a force, like something kind of pushed them out of the room, mm-hmm. and they heard a voice say, uh, "Get out! Don't come in here! You're not invited." What? <laughs> and they oh were like, God. he was like, "What the fuck?" And so he looked around and he said, out of the corner of his eye, he saw this like white cloud, like like kind of like smoke or air kind of like coming towards him and he didn't know what to do so he put his hand out to touch it and when he did like he said like this this like bolt of energy kind of like shot up his arm and it was like ice cold like his whole his like his whole body went cold for like a split second and then it was gone mm-hmm. and so he freaked out and like they both backed out of the room and went to and went to the front and were like yo man is there like some you know is there some there's some weird shit going on here like is there, is there anything that, you know, like what's going on, you know, then reception's like, yeah, you know, we've heard a lot of stories about, uh, people that have, have seen things in here and, and a lot of, a lot of people have quit here. Uh, they're basically saying that like, uh, everyone, like clients and staff quit regularly and eventually it had to close because nobody wanted to stay there anymore. They kept hearing all this crazy stuff. That's crazy. So, you know, upon hearing this stuff and seeing all this stuff, uh, he started to realize, you know, Hey, this is a studio where they found that, that those body parts in the, in the trash can. So it would make sense that there is some weird shit going on here. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's a really cool story to all come back to this Guns N' Roses songs that I've been rocking out to for 25 years and had no idea had any of this backstory attached to it, you know, uh, especially with that creepy story with, you know, going into the bathroom. Like, cause I can't imagine like, you know, you know, tiny bathroom in a studio, there's one, you know, one or two, person walks right past you into a stall and you clearly see that person go in and then you open the stall up and there's nobody in there that's some creepy shit yeah that's uh, fucking freaky especially you know? like yeah so, four in the morning and shit oh tired yeah. shit from the studio yeah that's crazy yeah so so uh, i don't know if you saw that that episode or not to you but uh it is worth watching it was a good one good story 
And uh, uh, respect to uh, Matt Sorum for not uh, screaming like a girl and running out of that studio as fast as he could. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and oh, Jim, yeah. Jim uh, Mitchell. <laughs> Damn, that, that's crazy, man. So that's my Guns N' Roses story. Wow. Nice, I dig it. Have you ever actually seen a ghost before in oh. your life? or is something... Me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing that you... No, could... no. Mm. I, I wish. I mean... The only thing that I saw was when we were on our tour, and we and that person recorded that, that orb, orb around you. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, was that was definitely around me. weird. And uh, that was by far the only supernatural thing that I've seen with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and even when it happened to me, I didn't see it. You know, it was on a recording that that the girl was showing me. Yeah, uh, or showed us. You know, because you were there too, right? You I was the there. Video. Yeah, we were doing the you tour know? together. No, I remember yeah. that. That was and that was the only time. So, yeah. uh, but, but yeah, as far as, as far as seeing anything out of the ordinary or seeing something strange or weird, no, I've, I've never been fortunate. Well, I don't want to say fortunate enough, but, uh, yeah. lucky enough to say, <laughs> got to choose my words carefully on this one. <laughs> or maybe you have, and you just don't know. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There, there's, you know, like when you're a kid, you fuck around with Ouija boards and stuff like that. My sister um, had a friend called Ghost Friend, like uh-huh. for a good many years of her life. And Ghost Friend, huh? Yeah, right. Ghost Friend never had a name. No, it was called Ghost Friend. <laughs> isn't Interesting. That, isn't that fucking weird? I know. It sounds it's a like weird. a like right, a, like a young adult novel. That's a is good creepy. So, is it creepier to call your friend Ghost Friend, or is it creepier to be like, "This is Annette," right, you know, yeah, and you're exactly. like, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I was watching Celebrity Ghost Story and there was a celebrity who talked about uh, a friend. They went to live at this like summer house, you know, for a while. And she had this friend that was her friend that she had made. And she was like, oh, I don't have any friends. I'm glad that there's another kid here who I can hang out with. And, like, lo and behold, they find out that it's, like, this girl that had, like, drowned on the property. And her parents were like, you can't be acting like this anymore. You can't be pretending like this exists. This is wrong. And uh, she discovered that her friend that was very real to her was this dead girl. Mm. I'll tell that story on on one of these episodes. Now, now I should say... Uh, and I played the tape for you guys is that when I did the, my session with my friend, when I did the channeling mm-hmm. and upon, upon review of that CD made me realize that, I, I mean, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it cause it sounds crazy, but I was talking to my, to a ghost. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, obviously people hear that and I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, things, things were said on, on the re-listening of the, of the interview with, with the, the uh, channeler and, a lot of things were said that were like very specific, and as far as I'm I'm concerned, I was sold as far as uh, you know it being real. Yeah, the way the way it came out was um, so not not smooth. It was genuine. Very, it was very real. Yeah, very genuine, yeah. and and the things discussed and said were just not even close to modern. Uh, uh, dialect either you know there right was, there was yeah that was fucking weird man right we, i we mean should... for me it's more personal because i knew the people that's, that i was talking to true, and you guys yeah, don't yeah, but yeah. again you know you just hearing from a third party you're like wow this this person really either a believes that they're possessed by a spirit or b this is the real deal and you know again for me hearing it on the second 
or third or fourth time, I should say. It was just like, this is, this is crazy. When we reach like, when we reach like a thousand subscribers or something, we'll release that audio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to my friend and see if she's okay with being, being put on blast like that. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll name drop her and see if she gets some clientele. We'll just do a reenactment. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. yeah right? I, I can't even do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, as far I'm as a... like, you know, as far as seeing like, you know, being at, being at my aunt's old house that was built in the 1700s, like, you know, I never saw anything weird and I really wish I did. Yeah. That's mm. yeah, a bummer. Neither of you guys, right? You guys haven't seen anything before. Not right? seen anything, but definitely had like weird things happen like, around me and have seen other people experience stuff that like I can't explain their reactions um mostly on the Queen Mary oh, okay we had, a, we had a ghost cat for a while oh yeah the fucking ghost cat I yeah. fucking forgot about that yes I have yeah, seen a ghost me and Tia like um for for like a few few nights in a row like I, or not in a row but it was no like, it was just one was... time for me and one time for you mm-hmm. that well, like, yeah, yeah. This always happened though. Like we would see this cat come by, and usually we'd assume it's one of our actual fucking cats, and we would go to pet it, and it would just go right through. Like you would just, it would just go through, and it was like a puff of gray smoke. No, yeah, it, it only happened crazy. one time to me. Yeah, it happened I a few Wait, times in your, to... in your apartment or outside. Yeah, yeah, and this in was, our apartment. Yeah, and th- it happened to me a few times, but I was like. You know, that back then I was like making music and shit up late, like late at night. So I was like, whatever, I'm high. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who knows what the fuck happened? But then Tia told me about it and I had never well, told no. her about it. No, you had, I had, yeah. Right? No, like I had went to pet PJ and my hand went through PJ and it was like dissipated into black smoke. And I, I remember you coming to me like, I didn't say anything to you because I was like, okay, that was weird. Like... It was just a dream. And I remember later on, you came to me and you're like, hey, this weird thing happened to me like the other night. I went to bed PJ and it was like black smoke. And I was like, oh my God, I went to bed PJ and it was this black smoke. Like, Uh. like going to pet your cat, but then your hand goes through the cat and it's like black smoke. Wow. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. That's very weird. You know, like you're tired at night and you're like, you see this like thing and you're like oh it's my cat you know yeah Yeah, i don't know who knows yeah who knows what that was oh random tangent random Um, tangent (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna get into my story um so this is i guess sort of the same era um 84 this is the birth of what it would be called norwegian black metal um which is which is not an element on the periodic table uh this is actually a type of music i'm um, down but but it was born uh, in 1984 in oslo norway um uh, go figure it wasn't in fucking arizona that norwegian black metal was discovered <laughs> uh, um but yeah it was um basically the the band mayhem was credited with creating norwegian black metal um, and it was founded by guitarist Oystein Barseth. Oh my God. Good listen, luck. Listen, Good listen, luck. Oh my God. Yeah. Listening to Tia, like st- barely struggle with her. And mine and were I was just like, English. Yeah. And I was they like, were just oh, English fuck, names. this is going to be bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good luck yeah, with Guitarist Oystein Harseth, um, who was also known as Destructor. That was his like, 
his AKA for the band. Yeah, they all have they all have code names. Exactly. In their band, yeah, right? you got to. Um, and that was like his original name. Later on, he would be called Euronymous. Euronymous, yep. Which is fucking awesome. I think that's like the coolest name. Euronymous. I think it's Euronymous. Euronymous? Like Euronymous. Euronymous. Okay. Just let Jameson say it. Right, yeah. Every time that name comes up, you're just going to have to say it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I could be saying it wrong, too. I think I'm I'm not 100% on that. Euronymous, yeah. Uranimus? 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 You're toeing the line on that one. I know, right? <laughs> I quit towing on my Uranimus. <laughs> um, yeah, there was also bassist Jorn Stubert, uh, who would also be called Necro Butcher. Nice. And drummer Katil, and he'd be called Mannheim. Um, I think that was because Mannheim was actually his last name. He didn't have his like cool AKA. Mannheim is still cool. He's the drummer though. Like that's still cool. He doesn't need like a cool name. He he's got the sticks. Um, but yeah, when they when they got together, they called themselves Mayhem because they were actually really big fans of Venom, which was like a British uh, punk band, I guess, at the time. And so they actually one of the songs was called Mayhem. So because they loved the band, they decided to call themselves Mayhem. Which, as you'll notice, is a little bit prophetic. Um, the band was definitely mayhem. It was a lot of, a lot of craziness. Um, right. Originally, they played uh, covers, uh, Black Sabbath, Motorhead, stuff like that. Um, eventually, they, they do kind of blow up, you know, or at least as Norwegian black metal artists would blow up. They, they sold like a thousand copies you know, and that's that was like a big thing for because basically they created this because out of angst of what was going on in the music world, like it was like rock and roll artists. Then that was like big hair and stuff like that, you know, and mm-hmm. it was very visualized and sexualized and all that stuff. And they were just kind of like, fuck everything type of, you know, like that's kind of what uh, Norwegian black metal was sounding like. Um, so eventually they um signed to death like silence productions oh my god (laughs) isn't that perfect that's perfect i should call my theater company that death like silence death like silence um we'll just take out productions yeah (laughs) then it's totally death like silence (laughs) theater Um, company (laughs) i did know a band called q the crickets and you remember them yeah that was a good one um but (laughs) But um, so after they signed uh, to this production label, they um, Mannheim and Maniac, um, which was another, which was basically a a recording uh, artist that they had brought in for a couple of songs, but they kept him in the band. Uh, But they ended Mannheim and Maniac actually left the band after they signed to Death Like Silence Productions. I think they were kind of uh, not okay with, uh, because Euronymous or Euronymous, um, was the person that got that contract going that was actually part of his company was uh, Death Like Silence Productions. So I don't know what the real reason was for them leaving the band, but they left the band. Um, they picked up Swedish vocalist Per Yngiv Olin, who would also be called Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, no, I am dead. Yes. Um, and it's good. It's and good. local drummer Jan Axel Blomberg, who 
who would also be called Hellhammer. Hellhammer, huh? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting into Per Ingev, I'm, I'm definitely going to just call him dead for the rest of the time. But getting into dead, um, he was extremely obsessed with death. Go figure. Um, <laughs> and that's actually why he would wear corpse paint. Um, and that's what they call like the the paint you would see kiss in i guess that's the easiest reference. so yeah it's full white face paint and then right. you add black around the eyes but obviously they glamorized it or like well, the misfits they were very much like uh yeah they didn't want the uh, the kiss or the alice cooper look you know they wanted um he wanted to look dead that was that was the idea to look like a corpse a lot um, of leather a lot of bullets Right, yeah, of, like spikes studs. and shit. Yeah, Stops. like some of their like some, <laughs> some of their of microphones were fucking so cool to look at, man. Oh my god. Well, like, yeah, they why? Had, like, spikes over everything. Right. Oh, yeah. they had like spikes on their microphones. Yeah, yeah. Ton- it would like huge fucking spikes. Yeah, I mean, but they were the shows were crazy. Um, so cool. dead would he wanted to look dead so bad that he would actually bury his clothes a week before the show and then dig them up right before the show started. <laughs> And then put them on. Neat. There you go. Um, that's cool. Method. But yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Method acting. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he would um, uh, he was like super introvert, depressed person. Um, but this was discovered a little bit later on um, by the fans. But it was known by some of the band members. He would cut himself with knives and glass on stage. And they would also put uh, sheep and pig heads on spears and sometimes just throw them around on stage. Um, this sounds like just Marilyn Manson concert. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean that's I guess... where Marilyn Manson might have Oh, gotten. yeah, I yeah, guess yeah, this is like a couple years prior to that, huh? This is definitely... Oh, yeah, he oh, yeah, definitely cut is... himself on stage. Yeah, this is uh, 80... Yeah, Don't we all cut ourselves on stage, though? Let's be lots of people did. Gigi yeah. Allen did that. Yes. from the Plasmatics, I think she did that. Oh, really? Uh, that's crazy. There's a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, like I said, he's super introverted, depressed, um very much obsessed with death he would uh hoard dead birds uh, a lot of people saw him or not a lot of people, i'm sorry a few people actually saw him picking up crows like dead crows and putting them in plastic bags and keeping them in his place don't then, look at me and then he would right yeah like <laughs> keep him in his place maybe See, he was part cat he puts his birds away to you <laughs> There's dead birds all the over this place. It's a pigsty <laughs> of dead birds. Um, but he would also, yeah, he uh, crows and then geese were also found in his place inside of plastic Not bags. Um, he also liked to make his own shirts, which had funeral, actual funeral announcements on them. That's um, kind of cool. I thought of that. I like thinking of it. I was like, I couldn't find an actual shirt to read it. You know, I was too busy like researching or whatever. But man, like I, that sounds like a cool shirt to kind of like. I don't know. It's definitely a dick move, depending on who died. I guess. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit better than hoarding dead geese. Of that's, just that's true. screen yeah, printing just wearing a shirt. your own yeah, shirt. Exactly, yeah. It's like I wear the shirt or I get dead birds. One or the other, guys. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> so eventually, unfortunately, um, he passed away from committing suicide on April 8th, 1991. 
Um, he slit his wrists and his throat and then took a shotgun to the forehead. Um, That'll do it. Which is... Wow. Yeah. Fucking yeah. I knew the shotgun part, but I didn't know he slit his wrists and throat, Slit too. wrists and throat and then took a shotgun to the forehead, yeah. Um, yeah, really, really insane. He even left a suicide note, which um, this is translated from uh, Norwegian to English. Um, but I'll still do it in a Norwegian accent. I'm joking. Please don't. <laughs> Please just be respectful. Yeah, right. Um, so it starts off, excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods so that I would take a few days before, so that it, it would take a few days before I was possibly found. I forgot to mention, they all lived in the woods. The band lived in the same house in the woods. Mm-hmm. And that was because they create Norwegian death metal and it's probably better to be secluded where they can rehearse and yeah. shit. And that's where they actually put together a lot of albums. But this was also because they were so secluded. This is where Dead would go and into his room and stay there for days on end, writing and stuff, you know. But mostly just hating, you know, life and being depressed. So they didn't really suspect anything. Exactly. Well, I'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, before I was, I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway. To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not human. This is just a dream, and soon I will awake. It was too cold, and the blood kept clotting. Plus, my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed dying to the knife, I will blow all the shit out of my skull. (laughs) Yet, I do not know. I left all my lyrics by Let the Good Times Roll, plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, may I present life eternal. Do whatever you want with the fucking thing, Pele. Pele was actually a nickname for Euronymous. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure where that came from. I couldn't find that out. Maybe uh, they played sports. Like <laughs> something well, it's soccer. not. It's Pele is one L, right? Yeah. Okay, this so is two, two L's. L's for yeah, so I don't know where that oh. came. Also, it could be fucking Norwegian for something. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm actually for, saying it for wrong. like a word like, right, yeah, like friend, friend or something. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Um but that was his nickname too. Um I didn't come up with this now, but seventeen years ago. So he had supposedly been planning this for seventeen years. How old was he? Um, I don't know. I, I totally didn't. He's probably like 25 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was like, yeah, late, early, early like mid to late 20s, yeah. Mm. Um, so dead is dead. Dead is dead. Um, he left that crazy suicide note. That's fucking really crazy. Um, so I definitely wanted to do a little bit of uh, research on dead, you know, to see, you know, go into his background a little bit. Um, there was a lot of bullying. Uh, and this is kind of a, a re- repeating thing, I guess, with a lot of fucked up people, <laughs> is uh, being hmm. bullied at early ages. In uh, one incident, he actually ruptured his spleen. Uh, he was he was beat so hard, but he wow. told he told his family uh, or his parents when you know when this happened that it was an ice skating injury. But later on, uh, they it was um, it was uh, in a documentary. One of um, I think it was his brother came forward and said, "No, he was being bullied all the time, and he got mm-hmm. his ass kicked." 
Um, mm. So when they bring him to the hospital, he ruptured his spleen and it is so bad that he is actually declared clinically dead. Oh. So he comes back to life. So he already died. After that point, he becomes super obsessed with death. Yeah. Um, and this is like 12, uh, 12 years old. So he, this, you know, this begins. And I mean, that's kind of right, right at the right time, you know, 12, 13 years old, you're a rebellious boy. But that's or when you also too, start you to know? like develop your interests. That's true. Yeah, that's your true. Your yeah. interests yeah. that are going to carry on into your life, and, not just and like. this was death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Mine too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, freaky. Yeah, right. Um, So another thing to note was that Euronymous knew he was obsessed with death, like a lot of people, and supposedly he encouraged it. And that was said by a few uh, previous members. Um, When the person that found dead, dead, was Euronymous when he came back to the... um, when he came back to where they lived in the woods, when Euronymous found him, he did not call the cops. He did not call the hospital or anything. He went to the store and he bought a disposable camera. And then he came back. And then he rearranged a few different items around dead and then took a picture. Uh Um, Later it was revealed that he actually took bits of skull Uh and made necklaces out of him. And he a would dead ha- skull? A dead oh skull, my yeah. fucking god. Um, yep. And that started out as a rumor, but apparently these necklaces were given out to worthy musicians. Um, anybody that was deemed worthy, I guess, uh, by Euronymous. Or Euronymous. Uh. Um, yeah, it really fucked up. The, yep. the other rumor is that he actually took some of the brains and made brain stew. That one is yeah, kind of hard to prove. Not because there's, you know, a jar of it laying around or something. You know? <laughs> oh, man, I just tried to scroll up my notebook again. Uh, <laughs> um, and the another creepy thing about the whole uh, picture being taken was that uh, Euronymous was kind of, like, stoked about it. Um, the, they, he actually says, uh, Euronymous co- called Oystein... Uh, the vocalist, and he said, dude, Dead did something really cool. Like, super excited. And he's like, dude, he he killed himself. I got pictures. Oh, my God. And Oystein is fucking pissed, obviously. He's, you know, doesn't want anything, you know, he's just, like, shocked that he would yeah. actually say something like that, you know. Um, so, um, Mannheim came forward and actually said that Euronymous probably did did it all of this on purpose. This was all planned out. Like he had made sure uh, you know, he was obsessed with death, so he kept encouraging him to kill himself. Like actually do that. And then he would he knew that he was getting depressed staying at the house, so he left him alone on purpose. Um that oh, cannot be God. verified, but that was something that Mannheim said. That's like that that girl who uh-huh. Yeah, who convinced her boyfriend yeah, that's right. yeah, to kill himself. himself. She was, like, encouraging it. It's fucked up, man. Yeah. Um, this was a quote by a um, one of the... They, they worked with... He worked with him as a... Um, what's it called? A studio artist? Like, sometimes they have studio artists that fill in for, you know, different uh, uh, recording studio pieces. Musician. Studio musician. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and he actually said he didn't see himself as human. He saw himself as a creature from another world. He said he had many visions that his blood has frozen in his veins, that he was dead. That is the reason he took that name. He knew he would die. It's John Johansson. Um, so yeah, yeah, super, super, super fucked up. Um, after all of this, uh, Necro Butcher leaves the group, and then it becomes o Occultus. Um, they uh, substitute in a few different musicians trying to fill in the band because it's only two people now. Mm -hmm. um, and they bring in a vocalist called De Mysterious Dom Saltanas. God, totally butchered that. I necro butchered that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he, does, he joins on for like one song and then he leaves the band because he keeps getting death threats from Euronymous. <laughs> So, of course, he leaves. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Euronymous and Vicurnus, who is a, 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 a newest member of the band, like, they go through so many different band members that I was like, I can't keep writing this. Like, <laughs> it's going to be half of this podcast. Euronymous is off, obviously. Euronymous is obviously, yeah, lost it. Yeah. Um, so, I think Vicurnus was the drummer at the time because it was just them two. Mm -hmm. um, they decide to release a new album by burning down uh, Nidaros Cathedral. And one of the picture of the cathedral is actually on the album cover. Um, Vicurnus uh, starts to be weirded out by Euronymous a lot. And, he and that knows, church, by the way, was super old, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, uh, so I they really burned down it. an old church. They burned down a really old church. Yeah, just <laughs> like to release no, an album. Notre Dame old church. It's yeah. like yeah, like oh like nine hundred thousand years old or something like that. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. So yeah. So Vicarious is starting to get really, really weirded out by Euronymous more than you know normal, I guess. Um. And he starts listening to. He's noticing that Euronymous is talking about killing Vicarious. Like, like he would talk about that shit like out loud and, you know, to boast and stuff like that or just be weird. But he started noticing that he was doing it to like just one other person. Like, like, like this is what I'm going to do on Saturday type of thing, you know. And so he's like kind of freaking out, you know, and he knew that Vicurnus and Euronymous weren't really seeing eye to eye. And, you know, he knew shit was going on. And so yeah. apparently Euronymous decides to like call him and be like, Hey, let's be friends. You should come come home over and, you know, let's hang out and, uh, we'll sign this contract. They have, they were apparently were trying to sign to a new label. Vicurnus was okay with that, you know, but he was like, yeah, he's like, I don't want to meet up with you to sign a contract. So rather than meet up with him at this, you know, supposed date, he decides to drive to Oslo, and from I can't remember where he was staying, but he they were they, he said it was uh, 530 kilometers away. Um, so this wasn't like a you know I can just go down the street. You know he was like mm -hmm. you know I'm just gonna surprise him. I'm gonna drive right to his house. He's trying to kill me by befriending me. I'm gonna go to his house, sign the contract. It'll be done. He arrives and Euronymous is super shocked, and you know he's like super out of it or whatever. And he immediately kicks uh, Vicurnus in the chest. And, <laughs> and Vicurnus is like, what the fuck? You know, and he's like, so they, you know, get into a tussle or whatever. And they kind of settles down a little bit. And then Euronymous goes to the kitchen to grab a knife. 
And Vercurnus is like, well, I'm getting a knife too then. You know, like, I, you know, th you can't have a knife. He gets there first and grabs a knife and he's like, you know, poking at Euronymous. Euronymous <laughs> finally grabs the knife. They're slashing each other, falling down down to the ground. Uh, Vercurnus um, uh, falls down to the ground. He breaks this huge lamp and there's, you know, glass cutting him up and stuff like that. And so he actually came down to Oslo with a friend of his. Um, who's in the car right now uh, while all of this is going on. <laughs> and so he's just so like, he's in, like, you know, like they just the went car, through this whole but... stabbing thing and then they're kind of like standing there like, all right, well, like what's, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? next? You know? And then, so his, his, uh, his friend or not, not his friend, uh, somebody that was staying in the building or in around, you know, runs past him, you know, and he thought it was him and he's like, oh, it's not him, you know? And then, so he, turns around and then there's Euronymous coming and attacking him with a knife so Vicernus decides to stab him in the skull mm. uh yeah <laughs> um and it was I watched a, an interview with him about about this incident because um you know it's been so long and he was you know able to talk about it I guess but he said it so matter-of-factly, like, I had to stop him, so I stabbed him. In the... Well, it was funny, because he's Norwegian, so he's like, is it, how do you, like, I stabbed, st shot him in the, no, I stabbed him in the skull. And I was like, holy shit, you stabbed somebody in the skull. Um, so Vikernis decided to, not decided, he served 21 years. Um, and that is for murder and the church uh, uh, fire burning down the, the church because yeah. uh, that was discovered you know after all of this incident basically uh, his friend that was just waiting in the car but also part of the church fires apparently um, got eight years um, and the another another crazy thing uh, to mention about this was that like Euronymous was not a good person obviously yeah you know and so he he probably had a lot of people that didn't fucking like him including somebody he had made death threats to. Um, like I mentioned before, the guy who left the band after only joining for a song, uh, Dom, we'll call him, so I don't want to say the whole name and butcher it. Um, he was actually going down there to kill him as well. <laughs> what? Later on, he, he came out and said that, I you know, now I can say this because, you know, I'm not going to get killed or whatever. Yeah. But he said that he was about to head down there and then he saw in the paper that it had happened. And he literally said to himself, fuck, I need to get home to make sure I hide my guns and my drugs because I'm the number one suspect, you know? And he even if he way. wasn't, you know, but he was like already on like, yeah, to already to fucking death. kill him. So like, yeah, your Euronymous was just asking for it, you know, just a f terrible, terrible fucking person. Um, and the way this all kind of connects into, I mean, definitely it connected in this whole rock and roll crazy yeah. shit we just did. Um, but it also was uh, part of Hollywood uh, because it became a book and a the book became a movie, which was called Lords of Chaos. Uh, the movie, it came out in Sundance, I, I believe, at the Sundance Film Festival. Wow. It's, it stars Rory Culkin, and he plays Euronymous. Mm. Oh, nice. Right? I love yeah. all the Culkins. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, uh, did you see the movie? I, I didn't, no. I, I oh, meant okay. to watch it, but I also read a lot of conflicting shit when I was doing the research, so I'm kind of glad I didn't. So now I can know like a little bit more of the truth before okay. I go into we'll the film. We'll watch it before the next episode. But what, you, have you watched it? 
No, I wanted to. Um, I knew that it had come out. Uh, it was in a lot of the metal magazines that I read. Um, so I knew about it, um, but I just was wondering what your opinion of it was. And yeah, I also read the history of black metal, too, so I knew a lot of the story. Oh, nice. Um, they didn't go, I didn't know about the second part there, but the first part about him collecting the skull and all that stuff. Like, yeah, that's I, crazy. You know, and then crazy. there was like, I think there, I think it was the band. They got into a whole legal battle between the name of the band I, Mayhem. I, and that, I, I totally forgot right? to mention too the the picture that he was that he took. Um, it was used. Um, he sent it. He sent it to a um, what was it? He sent it to this company, and they ended up using that picture for a bootleg live album cover for oh Dawn, of the, Dawn of the Black Hearts was what it was called. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, apparently Euronymous did not do that specifically. He sent it to uh, this company. Um, I guess I did not write it down. But, yeah, it was a distributing company that he was, you know, just working with. But, yeah, they that that's super fucked up. And yeah. when, when the movie came out, too, like I said, there was lots of controversy and stuff up to, like, how much was truth, you know, and not and whatnot. And apparently the bands weren't really, uh, the, sorry, the band, the band wasn't uh, completely on board with it. However, um, it was, it seemed to be mostly about the fact that they decided to make this movie without getting the rights from them. Um, they didn't, oh, okay. they didn't go to them first to try to get the rights. The band kind of found out about it and was like, Hey, what the hell? Mm. Um, and they didn't use any of their music because they couldn't agree on an amount Apparently they were told, you know, like, oh, you know, this is the standard amount. And then they had a lawyer and the lawyer was like, that's not the standard amount. <laughs> uh, you should be getting more money for this, you know, whatever. But um, the uh, band also said, you know, they were kind of like very much. Um, it wasn't uh, the worst movie, you know, they were kind of like it wasn't it wasn't bad, you know, and it didn't like, you know, it wasn't that bad of a portrayal. But they were just kind of hurt that they didn't like, you know, ask for the rights or something, you yeah. know, like kind of like do ask it, do it the right story. way, you know. Right. Um, As anyone would be hurt. Exactly. Yeah. But like I said, they were also like they apparently they he they called and talked to the director and the director apparently was uh, in the Norwegian black metal scene back in the day. Oh. Okay. Um, he was he was in a different band. I can't remember the name. Uh, I should have written that down. But yeah, he was in a different band. So like, obviously they had similar interests and stuff, you know. And um, how did you hear about this story? Um, my friend uh, Drew that I work with, uh, he he told me about. Uh, yeah, he he was. I, I don't know how it's. Kind of, he was playing. It was the movie, have, right? He was he, telling you about the movie. No, he was playing the music. Because oh. we, in our in the water room, we just blast fucking all kinds of. Crazy you should explain shit. to them what the water room is and oh, what yeah. you do for and a yeah. living. I, I grow weed, lots and lots of weed, for Wonder <laughs> Bread. Um, but yeah, I work in a big fucking warehouse with giant water tanks. So you're watering plants. You're not in some like weird osmosis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, I'm in the water room. That's all. Like... We're doing some. Sort I'm gonna of, go like, float. I'll be back. <laughs> you're doing psychic therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably hit the fire room after that too. Hey, so I have a question for you about just going back to the story real quick. Yeah, um, there was a huge rash of, of fires that were churches that were burned down in the wake of that original burning. That's um, right. Were they all connected to the band, or were they were they inspired by the band? I think they were mostly inspired by the band after doing like the research, because yeah, there was tons of tons of burnings back then. Um, yeah, but there was it was definitely inspired. 
You know what I mean? Uh, that, the, there was a huge backlash towards religion there, right? Towards the, the Christianity. I think it's Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And they were just like, you know, the band itself I know is really anti-religion, uh, and that's what like all these church burning, like you said, you know, these eight, you know, five to five hundred year old to you know a thousand year old churches were all being just burned to the ground. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it was a big, big scene for. I don't know what three four years or something like that. Yeah, and there was this whole thing that um, they were uh, all about Satan and stuff like that. But apparently, the band was not did not agree with that. They were like, "No, we're you know, it's mayhem, it's craziness, it's chaos. Like we're not Satanist. Like that's a very specific belief." Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, of course you would think that though because they're burning fucking churches and shit. Everyone thinks Satanism is everything. Like it's bad. It's Satanism. I was into Satanism before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, that's that's the mayhem. Um, that was so, awesome. That so was a great story. Definitely check out Lords of Chaos. Uh, I'm gonna do that. So I think it's on Hulu. I think that's that's where we saw it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll have to see if it's on there. I I definitely um, that's a that's a. a a different branch of metal that I'm not really super into. Uh, but I, I do, you know, I love reading the history of it. So I read a book about it and it was very interesting, um, to see how, how, uh, you know, how real this is to some of these people, you know, they, they just take it so, so seriously. And, uh, it's very interesting the corpse paint is really cool. They definitely, you know, King diamond and bands like that, where they have all these crazy face paint. Of course, nowadays they, King diamond is like the far end of the spectrum, but he was one of the original guys that came out of like Denmark and uh, just had that kind of, you know, whole evil, you know, merciful fate kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, it, it was just, it, it's very interesting, especially if you see fans nowadays that are into, if, if you ever see somebody wearing a t-shirt and you can't, they, it looks like a band name is under, you can't read what the hell it is, it's probably a black right, metal. Yeah, exactly. Metal yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. It looks like a lightning strike. Uh, I recognize oh, yeah. King Diamond's <laughs> name as being a member of the original Church of Satan with Anton LaVey. Was definitely oh. friends of King Diamond. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Sure, yes. I could see that. I uh, he was definitely into that scene. I'm sure he, you know, I don't know how much he's into his Satanism, but I know that he definitely, you know, that's his scene. We're all it's bros really cool. with Satanism, <laughs> all right. But no, that that whole that whole uh, scene is really cool. I mean, they definitely the, the, some of the face paint that they use is just unbelievable. It's really, really, and like you said, the co- you know the the I don't want to say costumes, but you know the uniforms that they're wearing with the, with the spikes and all that stuff it's it's pretty insane yeah it, it i would say the closest thing for me right now because of my absence of rock and roll history obviously though would be uh guar 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 see oh, yeah. <laughs> see guar is uh Gwar's great I, they're one of my favorite bands i've seen them about 30 times in concert and nice. uh they yeah. uh yeah, but I mean, you, you now you have a completely different faction. I mean, that's a completely different type of music, and they're they're that's true. They, yeah. they they make themselves up to be aliens from Uranus, you know. So it's it's a it's a completely different take on the genre. But mm-hmm. it's same thing. It's all horror. It's all blood and guts. That's more like a, you're looking at more like a splatter movie when you go to Guar. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You know, whereas whereas. Uh, black metal is more like you know you have you have the you have the crosses and stuff, but it's more about the the spikes and the leather and the bullets and the you know the definite corpse paint all the way with the corpse paint. Mm-hmm. That's just massive. 
Hand um, but it's really cool. I, I know I'm looking at bands now. Like, uh, you know, I'm, they're really starting to show all these bands from other places. Like, uh, I just saw one from Mexico, and uh, these guys sing in this ancient um, language, and then they do like Aztec type sacrifices on the stage while the that bands are playing. While the awesome. band's playing, that's and awesome. They have the full costumes, like full, like all the feathers and the the Mayan Aztec look. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the band members all have that on and they all look different. And then they have some guy who's like the high priest come out and he does a sacrifice of one of the fans. That's uh, so there's really some intricate shows out there. You know, you were talking about them putting the, the fucking decapitated animal heads on the spikes and stuff. Like they all do that. They, they bring real blood mm-hmm. and they, you know, those guys are really into it. They bring real blood and they bring, you know, fucking eye cows, eyeballs and shit. And they throw yeah. that into the crowd. It, it's, it's really over the top. Crazy. That's fucking awesome. No, Guar is good, wholesome fun. It's just food coloring in the in the water. <laughs> they're like, aren't aren't they like theater kids from like Southern California? No, they're all from Virginia. They all went to like, well, the band is completely different now. But when the band started, um, it was it, they're all students. Yeah, but they're all art students from Virginia. They're, yeah, they're yeah. No, yeah, but you're right. They're all they're all like you know college guys. <laughs> you know, but that's definitely my scene. I love I love that stuff. Like Guar was one of my favorites discovered them in high school and was like went to every my, my my goal in life was to bring a new person with me had that had never even heard of guar to a concert and see them because it was all about their shows <laughs> that's awesome you know just super great nice um that, all right that was a cool episode um, um any 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 toppers on that anybody want no should i give assignments because i had oh a... yeah yeah what's um i only remember one episode that i had come up with Ahead right now, so we'll just do that, okay? I don't know who should do what. Um, okay, give me two seconds. Let me think about this. Um, all right, Jameson. Here. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you're waiting. Uh, all right, uh, Jameson, you're gonna do uh the death of Natalie Wood. Okay. Do Do you know that story? What's the only kind of wood that doesn't float? Natalie Wood. <laughs> now I don't want to sure. give it to you. Can you take it? It's a terrible joke. It's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. That's Can a you stupid take... joke. Uh, you... Yes, I do know that. I, know, I actually know the story pretty well, actually. Do you want that story, or do you want me to give you something you don't know? Yeah, you know, let's do something I don't know. That would be fun. Okay. You're going to do Thelma Todd, then. I have no idea who that is. Perfect. Cool. Thelm- Thelma Todd. Like Thelma and Louise? Yeah. And Todd, her dad. T-O-D-D. Yeah. Okay. Thelma Todd. Cool. Got it. Uh, then do you, do you want to do the death of Natalie Wood? Or do you... I get Jameson scraps. Okay, fine. You're doing... <laughs> so, fine. I'm just you're, joking. You'll do, do the... I'll do the death of Natalie Wood then. <laughs> and you're going to do uh, the death of Brittany Murphy. Ooh, all right. Oh. Okay. Brittany Murphy. Wow. So we're going to do these in chronological order. So that means, Jameson, you're going to go first. Okay. Next. Oh, week. and by the way, I wanted to go back real quick. You, yeah. you pointed out that uh, it when when Euronymous was or no when Death wrote his his suicide note. Mm-hmm. Out of all of our stories that have had suicide notes, by far his was the most impressive Dude, suicide note. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. I'm sorry, sorry for the blood. Excuse I know me for the subjects. blood. I'm sorry, yeah, but like holy that thing shit. was yeah, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> and then but, yeah, fine, knowing that he died already, yeah, I know dead was a trip. That's a crazy story. <laughs> Oh, dude, my friend killed himself. It's so awesome. Right, yeah. Like, that's... 
that's crazy man crazy shit um sorry i didn't mean to get off subject there you're (laughs) fine so you're gonna do the death of thelma todd thelma todd got it i can send you some resources on it if you want but or else you could just do your own okay yeah i'll let you know that's uh i'm excited cool uh and you're gonna then then i will be second doing uh natalie wood's death which you know we all know but some people don't know (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot of people people... that are famous nowadays that were involved in that situation right right, yeah so there's there's gonna be a lot of names you're like that's a good one there too that's a really good one uh, and Edit. then you're going to do Brittany Murphy. I mean, I feel like these, the three of those are very like connected because there's like weird conspiracies behind them and they're just like, they all died so young and they were just such brilliant stars and it's going to be great. Yeah. That's a good one. I like it. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Well, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours. It is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scary. For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at www.hollywoodshaunted.com. Peace out, y'all. Laters. Hollywood's Haunted. Hollywood's Haunted.